in a world where hillbillies are maligned as drunken, methed out, unidigit toothed simpletons, two men rise forth with a fifth to battle the stereotype like phoenixes. Uh, phoenixes? Phenai? Ah, uh, damn it! Two men rise up and declare welcome to Appalachian Park. Are you ready, boys? Yeah! Yeah! Well, a little letter, less than a skinner when the moonshine still exploded. But I fired the guns and it started to run and everybody reloaded. Then I got in the truck to go get drunk. Jingles and cans of hot beer. Went out of nowhere, there stood a bear, but they only hit the deer. They got little bitty brains, great big guns. I'm on a redneck rampage, turn up the Everglades. I'm on a redneck rampage. So hey everyone and welcome to Appalachian Pie. I know it's been an eagerly anticipated broadcast, and let us take a second to introduce ourselves. I'm Blaine, and the person to my right over here is obviously the right-leaning individual known as... Introduce yourself. I'm William J. Wright, uh, and as far as right-leaning, my politics are just left of mouths. So, uh, Well, damn it, that just took the fun out of the limp. Well, there you go. So how so, the hell have things been, dude? It's been years. It's been years. It has been uh, 24 years. That 25, sounds about 24 right. 24 years, yeah. 1990 was, a, I guess, was the last time that we'd really had a whole lot of contact with each other. I believe you're very correct there. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's talk about what we've been up to the last few years. And basically, what the hell are we doing here? What is Appalachian Pie and why? Well... I guess the concept came to me actually probably back in the early 90s as an interesting play on words. And in all honesty, if our listeners don't get it, that's their damn problem. Um, <laughs> beyond that, you know, since we came up in Appalachia, it just seems fitting that it would be named such, but we don't want the stereotype of hicks and hillbillies and everything like that so we added the pie to it and with any luck most of our listeners may not think it's spelled with an e (laughs) it is not appalachian p (laughs) exactly it is appalachian pie yeah and and basically what uh what is appalachia let's talk about that for a little bit uh appalachia is not properly the south no is, it's is an it entire mountain range and, and culturally it's a little bit different than what i think people outside of the area would classify as southern oh definitely i mean if you look at the idea of what people consider appalachia lots of times they'll lump west virginia in which obviously they should and even parts of Pennsylvania, if you take it into account. I tend to think it stops when the white and green mountains fork off going up into Connecticut and Vermont and all. Let's say, well, let's talk a little bit about our, our backgrounds, you know. Let's see, I think we start off here by saying that we went to high school together. We met in our early part of our senior years in high school and uh, really hit it off Basically, by being somewhat outsiders. Strange. Stra- yeah, uh, you said it. <laughs> <laughs> that was back before strange was a cool thing. Very this true. Was, um, this, when I think about th- the way we used to dress and some of the things that we did, we were like the late 80s version of the psychos from Columbine. We were the original trench coat mafia. We wore the long coats and were into weird shit and that was back this was back when this was back before we 
the nerds won the nerd war. Okay, this is back when you would still get your ass kicked by jocks, and not well, everyone was into you know esoteric stuff and weird movies and comics. And uh, yes, I do recall Debbie Gibson being popular at one time. This was yeah about as eighties as you could get. So <laughs> let's talk about a little bit about uh, about those days. Well, actually, I think perhaps the best way to approach this would be, why don't you go ahead and explain where you grew up in as far as your little section of the creek, and then I can kind of bring mine in, and then we can blend it together into the high school years. Oh, this is where we get to talk about our Appalachian experience, Yes, right? sir. Okay. Now, my Appalachian experience is not at all what popular culture would lead you to believe, and it's probably not even close to yours. I grew up, was born and grew up in uh, Johnson City, Tennessee, which is there in the northeastern corner of the state. My upbringing wasn't fundamentally different than any kid growing up in any you know, moderately sized city anywhere in the United States, as far as I can tell. I went to uh, basically an inner-city school, Henry Johnson Elementary, which is no longer active as an elementary school. Uh, uh, wasn't that down on Market? Yes, it was, right in the center of Market there across from Kiwanis Park. Yep. Spent, spent many a summer day on my bike riding through uh, that area. But, yeah, it was, uh, it was a feeder school, all kinds of kids of uh, different economic status and race were there. It was about split down the middle, black and white. Uh, and it kind of gave me a false impression of what the area was because when we up and moved out to Boone's Creek, the county area where we would eventually meet. Oh, let me uh, stop you there. Okay. Because we do have kind of a similar thing going on. Actually, even though my parents had the farm, I was initially born in the city limits, and I went to Southside Elementary. My best friend the first couple of years of school was a black dude named Abraham. Lost touch with him over the years because we ended up moving out to Boone's Creek. So, I guess... In a way, we've had kind of the same thing going on that we never really grew up with the closed-minded side of everything. And right. my parents were definitely the last people to try to influence us in a negative manner, completely wide open in our acceptance of everyone. Right, exactly. One well, of the things about you know, where I grew up was, you know, and I get the question asked now by people from outside, you know, people from up north, out west, you know, it's like, well, did you have black friends? It's like, no, well, when, where I grew up, you either had black friends or you didn't have any friends, you know. Uh, oh, come on. You weren't yeah. all the way in Carver. I was not too far from Carver. You could uh, throw Carver was a housing project for everyone listening who has no idea what the hell Carver was. Carver's a black housing project not too far from where I grew up. You could uh, probably stand on my front porch and throw a rock at it when I was a kid. But. Um, what was the other one? Keystone was the white trash one. Keystone? Yeah, my dad grew up in Keystone when he was a kid. That's uh, getting a little bit closer to Elizabeth and as you... We, we should put a map in the show notes so people know exactly what the hill we're talking about. But uh, Oh, man, do we get to put the Ghost Riders Ford up there, too? The Ghost Riders Ford <laughs> up on Hilltop. But frightening thing. I remember driving. It's probably, God, it's probably about five years old and driving with my parents through there for some reason. We're just riding around like he used to do back then. Right. And my mom's like, you know what that is? Like, and the old Gurney Burger on the way, just in case. The Gurney Burger. Yeah, yeah. A gurney being what you would be uh, most likely you know, coming off of that hill on. Yeah, you're li- or you're leaving uh, the restaurant on a gurney. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Lord, so but how y- was yeah. it on your end of uh, 36 in the creek? My end of 36 is basically between Colonial Heights and Boone's Creek, uh, area known as Oak Grove Road. Again, people who are from there know these places as notorious areas, part of your local, uh, you know, folklore, deeply ingrained in the culture of growing up there. But 
when I was in the at the end of my sixth grade year, we moved from the city limits of Johnson City into Boone's Creek, uh, where my parents still live. Oh wow, I didn't know it was six. For some reason, I thought it was closer to fourth. No, no, sixth grade, man. Okay. So I got uh, jumped into middle school at Boone's Creek Middle School, which was probably as close to hell as I have ever been in my life. It was really, really miserable because I came from this really culturally diverse school. That, oh, yeah, like, it was a little pocket that... Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that school, Henry Johnson, was well known for being, you know, producing smart kids and throwing a whole lot of education at us and coming out to Boone's Creek Middle where it's these, you know, no offense here, but these dumbass farm kids who didn't give a shit about anything and for the first time I'd met people who had been held back for three and four years at a time. You know? Oh my god, I'll There's, never forget. There was a guy in... Well, you went there from middle school too, didn't you? Uh, yeah, I went to Boone's Creek Middle 7th and 8th grade and it okay. sucked. Did you ever know the guy? I could not tell you his name to save my life, but he yeah. was like an 18-year-old sophomore that used to walk around with the claw off of a crow or some bird, and he would just sit there <laughs> and pull the ligament to let it clamp down on you in the hallway. <laughs> no, no. I don't, uh, that sounds completely plausible. Uh, and I had no idea that you'd went to Boone's Creek. Uh, yeah, For some reason, I, I thought I, you went to Gray. Well, did you have um, lions? No, okay. no, I had range, uh, and that's well. a long story too that no one cares about. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, as that we might take be the, part of it, as we take this journey down Amnesia Lane, Gesundheit. <laughs> then after the middle school, you and I met up in lovely Skanky Poon. Actually, I do know why we didn't know one another at Boone's Creek. I know exactly why as well. We didn't I know totally each other forgot for a about time. that. Yep. Yeah. Because I ended up being transferred to university school for seventh and eighth grade. Yes. And then, thanks to my mother's last minute decision, two weeks before the school year starts, I end up out in Boone with a ton of people that I hadn't seen in at least two years. Now. You have to explain some. You have to explain to the uninitiated what uh, university school is and what it's all about. University school was in and of itself an oddity, I guess, to Johnson City. Um, it was a full elementary through high school that actually met on the campus of East Tennessee State University. Still there, by the way. And there was some sort of lottery program that your parents had to apply to, for whatever reason, get you accepted. But I never knew what, if any, criteria were actually there besides them putting your name on a piece of paper. Now, in the best of all worlds, this was an experimental school where they would use the latest and greatest uh, education, educational tools and techniques to, you know, make you the super citizen eventually. Yeah, <laughs> I guess, yeah. That's what I'll... You can say yeah. it was an experiment, certainly. And I've known many people who went there, and for every productive citizen that place has turned out, I can think of five incredibly maladjusted, frustrated people who... We're didn't. not talking about me right now. No, we're not talking about you. It's like you're one of, <laughs> I, I can count on my hands about two. You're one, and then there's another guy that I met later. No, who, actually, uh, they, they did have a really great program that incorporated the middle schoolers and working with the professors in the theater department over at Galbraith Hall, and we're also really big on working with some of the students that were a little bit more inclined towards the mathematical or engineering side. Well, you know, uh, Timothy Busfield went there. Yeah, Timothy Busfield, uh, forever, you know, to me, is uh, from you know, Revenge of the Nerds. Oh, yes. I had his yeah. scholarship, actually, for a year and a half. Oh, did you? Yep. Technical yeah. side. Oh, right on. Right on. I had no idea. Yep. 
back to the the high school thing. We went to Daniel Boone High School in Gray, Tennessee, which is famous for being an institute of learning that was named after an illiterate backwoodsman. And also happened to look like a mass of flying saucers descended and the hillbillies around it put bricks around them. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, the thing about Daniel Boone, Daniel Boone has an ongoing rivalry with another school also named after an icon of American backwoods history, and that's Davy Crockett. Which I've always thought was hilarious because he wasn't even from Washington County. Now, every year the two schools get together and they have a football game over what? A flintlock musket. So, and fortunately for us, we were there the first year that Daniel Boone lost the musket. And I take great pride in that. And then they immediately regained it for the remaining three. Did they now? Yes. I can't re- I guess. I guess that's right, yeah, yeah. I, I remember him hanging in the lunchroom when we sat at Hill. <laughs> I forgot we called it Hill. Yep. Yeah, at our lunch table, Hill. It was me, you, a guy named Eric, who was a real big part of our circle for a while. Uh, who else? Um, Stacy? It, it was actually kind of an odd mixture. Yeah. Like, it was like theater kids, and, like, I was one of the art kids. And it was like theater, art, a couple of ROTC people. Some yeah. people yeah. that were kind of in-between nerdy jocks. But uh, then, you know, I guess we met in our senior year, and I'm not exactly sure how that happened, but we kind of got, we were Actually, pretty... I think it was the tail end of our junior year. You think so? Yeah, because we had Davis for two years, but we really didn't talk to one another the first half of the junior year. That's right, that's right. You know, I had to transfer to Davis because uh, that bitch Dorothy Rose... Uh, kind of profiled me as a hisher and didn't rec- didn't recommend me for advanced uh, placement English. Well, for what it's worth, I got transferred to Davis yeah. because one of my mother's friends suddenly realized I'd been assigned to her classroom and they didn't think that would work out well at all. <laughs> but I remember showing up. I had to fight to get in to the class. I had the grades and everything. Also, I'm pretty certain she's the one who kept me out of key club. <laughs> Well, um, I'm sure you regret that in retrospect. Oh, yeah, yeah, because it just turned out the best and the brightest, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh, God. These wounds run deep. <laughs> <laughs> but I show up in, uh, you know, with my hair halfway down my back, and, you know, I was thinking I was wearing a denim jacket with an Iron Maiden patch on the back of it, and I just, like, instinctually go to sit in the back and... Deanna has I, I, me I'm sit up. I'm pretty sure if you had had the opportunity at the time, you would have had a tattoo down your forearm of Ingve. Probably, yeah, yeah. I was seriously into the guitar at that time. Still, I am, but uh, my taste and predilections for the instrument have changed as well as music is a priority in my life. I kind of we we can get into that. What our motivations in high school were, also. I guess. Actually, no. But, I just want to hear you say yeah. your taste and predilections again that sounded kind of dirty (laughs) one show only man oh sorry yeah i spent a lot of high school not knowing exactly who the hell i was or what i was about because i had like this private interior life that did not resemble much of what was going on outwardly and i think when we hung out that i was much more myself and what my real taste was, you know. Oh, we definitely were, because, I mean, at yeah. the time, I was the big ROTC geek as well on the drill team and doing everything that I thought everybody thought I should do right. So, no, I, I completely get where you're coming from. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, I was, like, kind of outwardly, like I said, this kind of, you know, hesh or heavy metal kid, but I was going home and I was listening to... The Ramones and the Dead Kennedys and things that would have got my ass kicked from several different groups there. See, and I and, was listening to Guar and Gorky Park and, oh my God, I just remembered the first concert I ever went to. Yeah. Oh, I'm embarrassed to say what mine is. Oh, but. I am completely embarrassed, but just for the sake of full disclosure, I may as well say it. 
the White Stripes. Really? Yep. That was your first concert? Sadly. Jesus, when was this? Um, you eight, avoided the whole... Eight, eighty-nine. Eight, were they playing that early? Uh, yeah, I was actually going out with a girl uh, because of theater. Yeah. And she and one of her friends, they lived outside of Morristown. Yeah. Invited myself and... Do you remember from Crockett um, a guy by the name of Sean? I knew a lot of Sean's. Okay, well, anyway, for whatever reason, he and I knew one another, knew them through the forensics competitions and stuff like that. They said something about a concert, and we ended up driving to Farragut to see the White Stripes at the Farragut High School. Jesus Christ, they wouldn't break for nearly another 15 years, though. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I completely screwed that up. Yeah. White Cross, not White Stripes. White cro- okay, now now things begin to make sense. Okay. See, it's like if you'd said White Stripes, you know, that early, it's I, like... I, I, I was thinking about what I like, not what I've seen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I thought so. It's like, really? You're embarrassed over that? And that early? <laughs> God, were they even playing yet? What the hell? <laughs> Jack was probably about the same age as us. Yeah, yeah. He was like right out of high school. If not, we might be a little bit older than Jack, yeah, actually. But, so White Cross, yeah. Yep. Semi-notorious local band. Yours? Mine uh, also had White in it. Um, uh, yeah. Wait a minute. Let me guess. For some reason, I'm wanting to say White Snake. White Snake was the opening act for Motley Crue on the Girls, Girls, Girls tour. Rock on! Right after uh, freshman year at Boone, I had just left ROTC, had uh, bowed out of Rifle Team because I just like couldn't. Wasn't going to happen for me, man. I loved the days I spent in ROTC. A lot of fun. Got a lot of discipline out of it. As odd as that sounds, if anyone who's know, anyone who knew me after that or has known me since that I was into that sort of thing. Actually, but, uh, I must say, you have more discipline than anyone I've ever known in one thing. What's that? Your ability to hold back vomit. Oh, yeah, yeah. I can fake it like nobody's business. I, mean. <laughs> I, I still remember one time on the roof of my porch... And a horrible bottle of gin that we had gotten our hands on. Yeah. And how we thought it was so pretty when you finally puked and the McDonald's french fries were glistening in the moonlight. (laughs) Was that gin or was that vodka? It was gin. It was gin? Wow. You know, I don't even remember that. (laughs) Do not remember that. I remember drinking a whole lot of screwdrivers and... I remember a couple of parties at the John C. Racquetball Club, which is a whole episode in itself. Oh, if yes. anyone, anyone gives a damn. And but, actually, uh, Dad, if you're listening, um, I apologize ahead. Well, well after the fact. Uh, your Canadian club was about 90% tea <laughs> by the time we got done with it. <laughs> I remember stumbling around the dark with a bottle of Johnny Walker Green Label. Yeah, it just like kind of disappeared and was off being, you know, emo guy about some girl or something. You know, that wasn't at the big bonfire for graduation, was it? Oh no, no, because at that point I we'd kind of begun to drop off. I'd gotten to yet another really horrible relationship with someone who was just a little bit older than us who had graduated before oh and, that's right i yeah. remember hey and at least you we, pierced my ears for free she did that yes yeah i'd totally forgotten that yep. but uh yeah we just kind of made an appearance and then left and then that ended horribly and then i jumped into another incredibly bad girlfriend situation <laughs> that drug out for two years 
that's when we totally lost contact with each other. Yeah, I guess you're right. That was yeah. literally right at the latter half of 90. Yeah. And then we didn't hear anything at all from each other for many, many... Well, that's not entirely true. We did meet up again. Yes, briefly. briefly. It was like yeah. 97 or 8. Yeah. yeah, through a mutual friend. Okay, you call that what you want. Okay, yeah, it's like... Yeah, honestly, I helped her pack when she moved, and I said, I'm never going to see or hear from you again, am I? And I never did. Yes. <laughs> Shorthand, Blaine got married. Um, yeah, we we all have an albatross to bear. Yeah, yeah, and then subsequently got divorced. As did as did I. Uh, also, I uh, got married. Got had a daughter. Was wonderful. Turns fifteen in just a couple of weeks, and then uh, we also got divorced and. I met uh, my wife of now coming up on 12 years. 12 years we've been together. Oh, wow. I knew it had been yeah. at least like 8 to 10. I didn't realize it was 12. Yeah, we got together. Uh, well, I guess it's 11 married, and we've been together for 12 years. Very cool. So, yeah, we have three wonderful boys and uh, God, loving life, man. Never thought it would ever get this good for me. Very nice. Yeah. After, yeah, and that, and, after I and went this, through all of my crap with uh, whomever you mentioned earlier. Yeah. Um, that was just odd that that was how we would see each other again. Oh, I, I yeah. completely concur. that It yeah. was very random, retarded, and we didn't capitalize on it whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, so then after everything had happened with me, I ended up picking up, but, well, you pretty much stayed around the area for the I, st- I did. Yeah, I started working in broadcast television initially, I, and that came through, I finally got into college after two years of just working schmuck jobs decided that, you know, I've really had enough of the real world. I want to go and be John Boy Walton, basically. Right. And uh, got into ETSU, extracurricular stuff, uh, worked at the television station, majored in English and minored in film. I helped establish the film minor at ETSU, along with a professor named Mary Hurd and some other good people. Nice. And just, yeah, just really, really thrived in the environment and had a blast. Started working in broadcast television from there as, uh, let's say, I worked at Channel 39, which was uh, affiliated out of Greenville that was located in Johnson City. Oh, I remember that. Weren't they like a Fox or CW thing? They were Fox. They started out as a true independent, and by the time I got there, they were well into being a Fox affiliate. From there... I went to uh, a little production company in Bristol, and it, I was an editor. I edited uh, drag races and tractor pulls, of all things, and some commercials and stuff for ESPN, and it used to be Speed Vision. I'm not even sure if they're still around now. Now, you know but I'm not going to let that completely go. Oh, no. Go ahead. I'm just dying to... Please, just give us a little bit on your impression of having to cover a tractor pull. Well, you know, I never actually had to go to them. I was stuck in an edit bay with all the footage, usually three or four cameras set up and cutting these things together. So, of course, you get all the great angles of mud being slung. Yeah, yeah. And it's very very cookie-cutter when you edit a drag race or... uh, Drag race is more fun than tractor pulls, but there's a very regimented way of shooting and editing something like a tractor pull. Nice. Believe it or not. It's not at all, the editing side of it's not at all fun. It's just sitting in a room with a producer, and unless you're an editing geek and dig that kind of thing, it's not not at all glamorous. Well, and I think for everyone listening, they should definitely understand that, obviously, with your background and everything, you're the one much more comfortable with the broadcast, the editing side, and things like this. So, 
when I stumble I've, around, get the hell over it. So, <laughs> yeah, I become the de facto producer of Appalachian Pie. <laughs> Wait, I thought we had an associate producer. We do have an associate producer. One of my good colleagues from uh, here in Knoxville uh, now lives up north, uh, Adam Gross, who really came through for us with some excellent equipment and will no doubt be invaluable in advice. Uh, just a really great, tuned-in, super smart guy who, out of the goodness of his heart and hope of seeing someone succeed at something kind of cool, just sent us a mic and Personas audio box, and here we are. We don't sound like we're in a tin can, thanks to Mr. Gross. And a heartfelt thanks from myself, and I would imagine everybody's got to listen to it. Let me back sure. up now and play a little bit of catch-up. Okay. So, I guess after high school and the time in between when you and I reconnected briefly, I ended up running away from Johnson City like there was a fire set inside of my asshole. And I bounced around several cities, um, ended up lighting in Knoxville, finishing up at UT, uh, took off to the lovely state of misery. Uh, (laughs) Nothing like St. Louis to ground you in the fact that it might have been a mistake or two. So (laughs) then after... The food's at least good. hmm? The food's at least good there. Uh, It it certainly is, and there's a little bit of a wine country and a lot of nice German and Irish restaurants, so... Not horrible. After there, ended up... Well, yeah, that was when I came back to JC for a brief bit, and you and I met again, and Mm -hmm. then I ended up in Ohio. Oh, yeah, I can't complain about Ohio. Every time I've been to Ohio, I've been treated like a king. In all honesty, the people in Cincinnati were really cool with me. I didn't have an issue with them. They were still kind of a big city, but kind of... They had their own term for redneck or hillbilly, which was Hoosier. (laughs) And it took me about two months of living there, I kept wondering why the hell people kept saying something in my presence about Indiana's basketball team. And finally I made the connection, and from that point forward, everything was cool there. Had a great little market that we could go to, um, lived there for like eight, eight and a half years, and then ended up picking up and moving back to the state of my mother's birthplace just because I wanted to be by the water. South Carolina. Yes, sir. Right on. So I guess officially on paper, I'm the only one still in Appalachia, Um, technically. To a degree. To a degree? Yeah. Oh, you... Of course your heart never leaves Appalachia. Of course not. We may spread around, but you can't take the Appalachia out of us. Yeah, one of the things that we're trying to do with this, of course, is to smash the stereotypes of the the, you know, the ignorant hillbilly and the methed out uh, redneck and all that sort of thing. So we, we, we kind of like skirted around you know, our college experience, me a little bit more than you have. So basically, what did you major in and what did you do with it? I uh, ended up being a psych major. I started out actually as an English with a secondary education, Um, switched over because I didn't feel like working for free for a year after I got out of school, Um, ended up being in social services, uh, worked with the court system, worked with direct care and group homes for troubled youth, ended up managing a couple of group homes that were disabled adults, uh, various issues going on, epilepsy, they were bound to wheelchairs for whatever reason, uh, muscular dystrophy, and it, it ran the gambit in those places. Um, one of them happened to be out on a farm that was about 37 acres, had a couple of horses, 
and I guess just from being back in Tennessee and nobody else that worked there had any experience with animals or anything else, I kind of noticed that the horses weren't exactly properly cared for and was able to kind of turn it around a little bit over a couple of years and we started hosting a couple of small fundraising things out there and the horses ended up being utilized to do little wagon rides and stuff for the kids we were planning some Halloween things and Christmas festivals and stuff like that and I finally got tired of having to have everyone else's heart on my hip and walked away from it. So would you go back to that kind of social work background if you ever got the chance to? Or is that a part of your life you're ready to put behind you? It's like, you know, that was, that was good. I did some good. I do it in a lot of ways, yeah. but it's on mm-hmm. my terms and more of charity work and things like that. Oh, right on. So, no, I wouldn't necessarily work in it. And the glass ceiling is there. So people that get into positions that are well-paying, you just got to wait for them to die. And I wasn't willing to do that. <laughs> well, not unlike uh, broadcasting, which is where I've made my legitimate money for the last nearly 20 years. Uh, see, I guess we were talking about... Uh, we lift off with me that I had worked at a Fox affiliate, Channel 39 in Johnson City. From there, did the production company thing where I was doing stuff for ESPN. And from there, I went to work for my hometown TV station that I grew up with, Channel 11, WJHL. and was there for nearly five years in uh, both uh, the production side and mostly as a master control operator, which is a swell job for an antisocial recluse.
services, volunteer work, alternative media, and... Oh, ho, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm, I'm not getting paid? Um, sorry to break that to you this way. <laughs> well, it wouldn't be the first <laughs> But, no, it's, um, I guess there's got to be a passion for it and I know that you have that passion so I I don't want you to discourage people from getting into it I have absolutely no passion for broadcasting whatsoever it was honestly I got a film minor in a program that I helped design from ETSU and got into television thinking well I really you know, legitimate film school is not an option for me geographically or, you know, financially at this time. I'll go to work in production at a local TV station, and that will give me hands-on experience manipulating images and editing. And honestly, you just can't get there from here. Just in as Even, far as where you are now or in as far as geographically there's not the opportunities? Uh, you know, honestly, a little bit of both. Probably the geographical thing more than anything. And also, they're just two different beasts. I know a lot of frustrated filmmakers out there, you know. And I got into it to, like I said, to learn how to edit and to get to operate a camera, which all things I got to do. But uh, the downside of it is once you get into that particular area, it's real hard to leave. It's uh, It's not a hard job. But it's not uh, not necessarily something that you want to you know, devote a whole lot of your life to, unless you just. It's mind-numbing, can, but it pays well enough to take care of what you need. That yeah, and if you get to do what I do now, which is more on a national, international level, I work for you know, like I said, I'm from Knoxville. You can I'm not going to say the name of the place, but you can put two and two together. I work for a big cable conglomerate, but. Is it 100% satisfying or what I would like to do all day, every day with my life? Probably not. Well, let's say you were able well, to step away and do something on your own. What, what I've always considered the real job, which has also consistently been a paying job, not necessarily anything that you could get rich at. You're not still I've hanging been, out in Fifth and Gill, are you? Uh, as little as possible, but you know, sometimes, you know, we got a bojangles here, and that, you know, those fries are just so fucking good, and you're broke. You know? Hey, I, I know the and, corner you're talking about. But <laughs> no, but I've, what, what I've always considered the real job has been writing, and uh, specifically journalism, and uh, to a lesser extent fiction here and there. I got into writing professionally, writing fiction. When I got divorced, I went through a period where the end of that marriage, where it's like, I don't feel like doing anything except wishing for a way out of this every fucking Now, I do have to interrupt you here, because I have one of your old screenplays that you may have misplaced. Oh, do you know? You have uh, actual emergency. Yep, the zombie thing. Yes, sir. Wow, wow! I know how you got that. Also, <laughs> so yeah, uh, that's an interesting story on its own. Also, but uh, you know, right after that, that kind of thing, I shot. I actually shot out part of that. That's what I heard. There, yeah, there are. I still have the footage somewhere. There's about ten minutes of uh, a zombie movie that. Uh, was pretty proud of both the writing of it and also what I shot but uh, another thing about the filmmaking part of it is that that's such a collaborative thing and getting people who everyone looks at a movie and says hey it'd be fun to make a movie until you get everyone on set and it's like hey this is actual work and this is long hours and this takes a little bit of effort and it's like the the shine gets knocked off of it at that point, and a lot of times you'll find yourself all alone, you know, oh, yeah, with sure ten minutes. Your head against a wall a lot yeah. of the time. Yeah, with ten minutes of a zombie movie and a script that's floated around the country for a couple of years, <laughs> for nearly twenty years now, 
So, uh, yeah, so at, at the at the end of that marriage, it's just like just trying to keep, you know, head above water in an emotional sense and just hating every second of the day. Left that situation at 30 years old, wound up uh, moving back in with mom and dad, which is like, uh, if you can ever avoid it, do. Yes. I mean... If you ever find yourself in that situation, it's uh, I'm glad they were there for me, but it's a very humbling experience. And uh, how long were you back with them? I was back there for oh god, four or five months, maybe six months. That sounds about like me because after I'd left yeah. Ohio, I think I came back. I was kind of intermittently between South Carolina and Tennessee for about three and a half, four months before I just pulled the trigger and said, screw it, I'm staying down here. During that period, that last little bit of uh, you know, my first marriage, uh, I'd started kind of getting into the whole horror movie thing again just as a way to occupy my mind and something that kind of made me happy that and listen to a whole lot of punk rock music again, which some that my ex hated and she hated everything about really me honestly did. it's like yeah hated that i was into the horror scene hated the music that i liked you know just what the hell yeah so i started going to conventions with a buddy that i actually met through her oddly enough and uh that kind of got me charged up about something again you know it's like i had something i could occupy my mind with and enjoy and something that meant a lot to me as a kid and growing up and kind of rediscovered that but when all that that went to hell and i moved back in with my parents and i wound up shooting part of a horror movie that will never see the light of day walked away from the experience there in ohio feeling great you know it's like god you know life can be fun again and then a week after coming back from ohio i meet olivia and we hit it off been together basically every day since yeah we got together and it's like god i feel like doing stuff again and I uh, wrote a little short story that was, uh, I submitted around and immediately got picked up by a Canadian digest called 13 Stories. Uh, pro gig, uh, you know, legitimately published right off the bat from there. Got a little bit of confidence about what I was doing. It's like, you know, I, as much as I like writing fiction, I like writing about the genre and wound up doing a film column for a Washington, D.C.-based alternative culture magazine. And that means goth kids uh, called The City Morgue. Wrote a column there for a few years called The Final Cut, which was a spinoff of a film society that I'd done in college. But, uh, yeah, I wrote for them for a while, did a lot of interviews with uh, people like Reggie Bannister from Phantasm and Bruce Campbell for them. Uh, spun that off into writing I, I, for I'm, film. I'm sorry, who? Mm -hmm. Bruce Campbell. Who's that? Bruce, yeah, he was in uh, something called Army of, uh, Army of Sharkness or something. Sharknado? Sharknado, maybe yeah. some. No, we all know who Bruce Campbell is. Evil Dead, Army of Darkness, Briscoe County Jr., all that good stuff. You know, the ultimate uh, indie film B movie actor. Cool guy. That's very cool guy. Ass. Yeah, and uh, from there, spun that off into writing for Film Threat, which uh, I'm sure everyone's heard of. Wrote for them. From that, uh, started doing a lot of print work for Penny Blood, became the. Uh, which is which was a really cool magazine that's not around anymore. Really good horror genre mag, and uh, then became the head writer of Sirens of Cinema, which was another good print magazine. Uh, again, that focused on women in genres of science fiction horror. I interviewed Lena Headey back before Game of Thrones ever was a thing, but and also Jamie Alexander, who is Lady Sif from the Thor movies. I interviewed her back when she was doing uh, Kyle XY. So it's like right as these people were about to make their big breakout hits, I got to them way before, you know. From there, uh, you know, interviewed a lot of uh, up-and-coming and established people in the horror genre. Like I said, Bruce Campbell uh, spent a day on the set of Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, interviewed Rob, which was 
great experience. Uh, yeah, and eventually became, you know, the whole, you know, the serpent began to eat its own tail. You know, I wound up being a guest at conventions and sitting on the other side of the table and signing magazines and doing lectures and talking to people. And it's just been a really, I'm lucky as hell. I was just a fan like everyone else and wound up, you know, years later getting to, you know, eat lunch and have drinks with Robert England, who we all know as Freddy Krueger. And just, I have a million crazy stories about writing. Well, I and definitely think I'm, we're going to end up uh, revisiting some of these people over time because... We will. I'm pretty certain we should probably take a couple of minutes to explain to people just the... I guess the way that we're approaching posting our podcast, how we consider everything falling under the umbrella of Appalachian Pie. Right. Um, definitely, for all of you listening, keep your eyes open. We're currently waiting to hear back. Um, we should be posted with iTunes, TuneIn Radio, and Stitcher. Just waiting for the confirmation after we get this initial one posted, and we'll post everything on the Facebook other than that, please feel free to follow us on Twitter at AppyPie or email us with your thoughts, your questions, your ideas, anything like that at AppyPie14 at gmail.com. And otherwise, sorry to interrupt with that, but would you like to kind of explain what we were thinking about the process of getting more podcasts out? Uh, in what way? Uh, how about I just go back over <laughs> well, again real quickly? Um, okay. as See, man, you fucked up. You got me talking about me, and it's like, well, I just it's my figured, favorite thing to talk about. Well, since we can edit this, I just figured it would be good to break it up a little bit. So, okay, but it, so what our in, our intent for Appalachian Pie, in other words, right? Okay. So the way you and I had spoken about it in the past is not so much that we're looking at this as a host and co-host kind of thing that's going to be a weekly thing or even bi-weekly for certain. We're, right. We're obviously going to try to get together as often as we can for a combined show. But... Both of us are going to be hosting our own things on the side, kind of as one-off shows that are still going to continue to fall under the umbrella of Appalachian Pie. So, we're also looking, and this is where the listeners will have to come in to help out a little bit, on ideas, because... I know you and I have spoken about it, and we would like to launch a t-shirt. So, we've got a couple of ideas in mind for logos and stuff, but would be more than open to suggestions of anyone else. Absolutely, especially people that, you know, have have gone to the trouble of liking the page on Facebook. Oh, definitely. Which is just amazing. I mean, the number of likes that came in on that thing and have not ridiculous. had... Not had you know so much as a syllable of a podcast up, and have come through and supported us in this uh, this crazy experiment. Yeah, which and a lot of people who knew us from you know twenty four years ago, twenty five years ago, have come through and like, wow, Blaine and William, this is going to be this is going to be nuts. You know, it's like thank you so much for coming for you know remembering us and being interested in this. Thing that we're trying to do. Oh, no doubt. And yeah. I would also like to thank those of us that we've already reached out to that have agreed to be either occasional co-host or interviewed or anything like that just to help out with content. Um, and just because of me bringing that up, what kind of things can we tease from your end about additional content? So, but my whole vision for this thing is, you know, like, so we talked about the beginning of the podcast about how the area is really kind of a mystery to people outside of, you know, just the immediate Appalachian region. 
is that there is the stereotype never seems to go away of you know the hillbillies and the stills and you know like if the toothbrush had been invented anywhere but Appalachia it'd be called the teeth brush oh I would like to have a quarter for every time I've heard those jokes you know it's like yeah we think it's funny too you know but the landscape of Appalachia that people have in their minds as a general rule is just as mythical to us who live here as it is to you know people who've grown up on you know the Beverly Hillbillies and you know the stereotype of well, like I said, with the stills and the myth and NASCAR. And sure, all that stuff is here. You can find it. But it's like the way Blaine and I grew up, it's like we think of it as like, yeah, those crazy-ass hillbillies that live somewhere else, you know. But it's by like, gosh, it's, if anyone ever busts out a window in your car, I can duct tape and cardboard that some bitch up in under five minutes, and you'll be good <laughs> for a week on the road. <laughs> but, yeah, but really... The Appalachian landscape that America knows is as mythical as Middle Earth or, you know, anything out of the Star Wars saga. It's just, it doesn't really exist in that way, that landscape. Those things are here, but that's not what Appalachia is really about. And my vision for things to do with Appalachia pie, Appalachian pie is... You know, there are a lot of people who grew up here who are doing things that are just flat-out cool and unusual. And not what you and expect, having grown up there during the 80s. Exactly, yeah. It's like, uh, I'm a good example of that, with the writing for horror magazines and all that sort of thing. And Blaine, who's like, you know, done this... Uh, thing that's not exactly what you would expect from an Appalachian kid or like the guy that I want on here who's like a huge influence for us doing this John Marshall who a great man grew up yeah oh awesome guy awesome guy who has his own radio show called Bod's Mayhem Hour which is all heavy metal and horror and the guy was a paranormal investigator before this met him at a horror convention you know and he grew up right there in the middle of coal mining country in Kentucky it's like that's not what you expect you know he's not you know this hillbilly stereotype as we're not as virtually anyone that I know here is not <laughs> it's there that stuff is there it's not what the whole area is about. And, I mean, it would be a lie sure. to say that there aren't certain aspects of the stereotype that exist, even in the people we know. Absolutely, yeah. But that doesn't necessarily mean that everyone is that dumb hillbilly, as yeah. you brought up before, the methed out, drunk, whatever the hell it is. That's that's just not a legitimate characterization by any means. It may be somewhat legitimate, but I don't think it's a blanket you can throw over the whole region, and definitely not the people at all. You certainly phrase that for the most part. Uh, well, I thank you. Uh, <laughs> I'll be looking for the check. <laughs> yeah, it's in the mail. So again, it's like that—that uh, that was my vision: is seek out people from the region who are stepping outside of that stereotype and doing like really cool things that. The rest of the country needs to know about, you know, especially, you know, like, you know, nerds and geeks and all that kind of culture is cool now. And we have that here, too. And I think that's and part of the reason I'm wanting to reach out to listeners just to put us in touch with people that we may not know about. Exactly. Exactly. We have a lot of people we grew up with on here. Uh, we're going to have a local celebrity or two. We're going to have a probably a legitimate celebrity or two come on. And oh, yeah. I would say we're probably looking at. 90% that have a solid anchor in some way to Appalachia, and then we're going to have some that are just more interesting in entertainment, or maybe that we for whatever reason just took on as an influence in our lives. And I guess anywhere that's possible, we want to take advantage of if they have an appreciation of Appalachia if they're not from here, or if they grew up here and left. Their memories, if they grew up somewhere uh, somewhere else and went to ETSU, Milligan, um, whatever other school. Just their impression of it after they had been here for a little bit versus what they may have heard about it. 
Exactly. We're here to shatter your expectations and your preconceptions of, you know, this uh, beautiful uh, hillbilly wonderland that we have spent so much of our lives in. (laughs) And I believe we would be remiss in not taking advantage of at least briefly thanking at least two gentlemen that are graciously allowing us to use their music without having to pay oh. ASCAP fees. <laughs> you want to talk about the patron saint of Appalachian Pie. One of these names is uh, this is someone we've admired for many, many years. and Probably uh, about as long as you and I have known one another. Right, and he will eventually he will make an appearance. He will make a uh, blessed uh, appearance eventually on, on the pie. Yes. But for now, we have uh, something nearly as good, which is his music. Mr. Mojo Nixon, a Mojo Nixon. thank you. Yes. And thank you as well, Bullethead, his manager, for being the go-between while we were trying to put all this together. And just thank you. That's all I can say. Absolutely. Thank you, Mojo. When I look out into your eyes out there, when I look out into your faces, you know what I see? I see a little bit of Elvis in each and every one of you out there. Let me tell you. Well, Elvis is everywhere. Elvis is everywhere. Elvis is everybody. Elvis is still the king. Man, oh man, what I want you to see. Got the big keys inside of you and me. Elvis is everywhere. In everything, he's in everybody. Elvis is in your jeans, he's in your cheeseburgers. Elvis is in nutty buddies. Elvis is in your mom, he's in everybody. He's in the young, the old, the fat, the skinny, the white, the black, the brown, and the blue. People got Elvis in them too. Elvis is in everybody out there. Everybody's got Elvis in them. Everybody except one person, that is. Yeah, one person. The evil opposite of Elvis. The anti-Elvis. Anti-Elvis got no Elvis in him. Let me tell you. Michael J. Fox has no Elvis in him. Uh-oh. Yeah, and Elvis is in Joan Rivers. But he's trying to get out, man. He's trying to get out. Listen up, Joni, baby. Elvis is everywhere. Elvis light. 
That's right. You got that Elvis inside of you, and he's talking to you. He says he wants you to sing. Everybody got to sing like the king. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Like the king. Uh-huh. Get that leg going now. Uh-huh. And get your lip too. Uh-huh. Not no fool, Billy, I don't lip either. Uh-huh. Everybody. Uh-huh. Yeah, we're rocking now. Uh-huh. Elvis is with us. He's uh-huh. with us and he's speaking to us. He says, people, uh-huh. 